Welcome to Pondering AI. My name is Kimberly Nebula, and I'm a strategic advisor at SAS. In this season, we're joined by a diverse group of thinkers and doers to explore how we can create meaningful human experiences and make mindful decisions in the age of AI. In this episode, we welcome Dorothea Bauer. Dorothea is an independent consultant and thought leader on ethics, responsibility, and sustainability in tech and finance. Amongst other things, Dorothea will help explain why pursuing an ethical practice isn't just an esoteric endeavor, and if a risk-based approach to ethics is enough. Welcome, Dorothea. Welcome, Kimberly. (laughs) So let's start by getting a sketch of your career trajectory to date. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you may have started out in academia. I did. I did. And I stayed there for quite a long time, even beyond my PhD. So I did a PhD in business ethics, which is pretty interdisciplinary because it is the application of ethics to the business context. And uh, I stayed in academia for a while longer as a postdoctoral researcher and lecturer at various universities. But then I found I wanted to have more impact in the real world. I felt a bit caught in the ivory tower which, you know, I'm not blaming anyone but myself for that. (laughs) So I left and I founded my own consulting company and I have gradually moved from business ethics or expanded the horizon from business ethics to also include tech ethics, which is, again, in line with my very interdisciplinary or you could even call it transdisciplinary perspective on things over the past, like, five or six years, I would say. So... This is great because certainly everybody in tech and in AI in particular, but also in the context of of crypto and blockchain, et cetera, et cetera, is talking about ethics. But there are relatively few trained ethicists like yourself in practice. And often when this topic comes up, it does seem, as I said previously, esoteric or people view it as a tool for judgment and primarily for finding fault. With your background, I'm interested, what do you think is the most common misunderstanding or poor framing of ethics as a topic or or a discipline today? Well, it's often like a misconception that ethicists are here to name and shame, like as you said, with a raised moral index finger and to make (laughs) people feel bad. And that's the last thing I want to do. My job is to provide orientation in your thoughts and so one misconception is like you know ethics will always make you feel bad (laughs) the other misconception that's also quite common is like wow you know you can't really talk about ethics it's it's totally individual it's whatever pleases you and that's called relativism and i argue against that there are some established universal values uh, especially as you know, laid down in human rights conventions, etc. Even though we do differ across, uh, you know, cultures and also between individuals, but it's not like totally random, haphazard, whatever your preference is, can be compared in ethics, could be compared to, to your preference for a red or blue sweater. That's not like what, you know, ethics is about. So that's the second misconception. And then the third misconception, which, however, obviously does not apply to those who are willing to talk about ethics in the context of tech or business or blockchain. But the third misconception is you cannot apply ethics to 
things like technology, these are like, you know, just things and, and they do not have values. But here I would say everything that has been created by humans is the responsibility of humans. What we set in motion is part of our ethical responsibility. So if you're even willing to talk to me about tech ethics, that means you're not seeing technology as something that follows natural laws like earthquakes or gravity, uh, where we do not have any impact or influence and neither do we have responsibility for earthquakes, for example. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the background in business ethics. And I'm interested when we start to expand or project that into tech ethics, if those two things are really the same. So what, where do those practices of business ethics and tech ethics, if you will, converge and where do they diverge? And you alluded to this a little bit in your opening statement. Well, in many ways they do overlap. If you think about, you know, tech as an industry that's following the logic of profit not necessarily maximization, but profit making, profit generation. So you do have business issues that are just applied to different industries and the tech industry is one among them. So if you look at technology as a product or a service that's being, you know, there's a supply and a demand and that's being created and sold by companies and used by consumers or users, as we say, yeah. you have a lot of business ethical questions in tech that are not necessarily new. But you do also have an, uh, an entirely other branch of tech ethics where you say, what are the specific ethical challenges that tech, like, for example, artificial intelligence entails mm -hmm. and that have never been presented to us before? And that's where, you know, the whole AI ethics debate has to deal with issues of bias, for example, and where there is a really uh, interesting and challenging convergence of, for example, statistical issues and ethical issues, and where it's really hard to, to kind of, you know, even for me as an ethicist, you know, I, I do have my limits. I, I don't know everything about statistics. So these are entirely new interdisciplines in, in, yeah. in the field of tech ethics. And these are distinctively new challenges. Uh, so that's where the two fields where like business ethics is not sufficient anymore to answer tech ethical questions. And, and is there a good example of that mashup, if you will, between statistical perspectives and, and ethical perspectives or, or considerations? Yeah. So for example, you know, if you, if you talk about fairness, you know, fairness, of course, is a value that we have when we watch a soccer game. We say, this is fair, this is not fair from the referee and this, you know, yellow card or uh, red card, etc. But when it comes to AI ethics and you talk about algorithmic fairness, it is a statistical concept. And then it's the question of where, for example, do you set the threshold for, you know, I'm, I'm not a statistician, so please correct me if I'm using wrong terms, but where, for example, do you set a threshold for the amount of false positives that you want to allow in, in, in the mm. application of uh, AI? So what is your limit of tolerance and, and, and how do you measure fairness? Is it, you know, the amount of people benefit from a certain service or what is the accuracy rate and that's where you have on the one hand mathematical measures numbers but before you 
get to these numbers, you have to make an ethical judgment. You know, which method of calculation do we want to apply? And that's really fascinating. These are entirely new issues, at least for me. And I know philosophers, some philosophers or also some really smart theoretical computer scientists and maybe many other people, but not me. They do have answers or they do have suggestions on how to resolve those. But these issues are becoming much more prominent now. And I wonder if some of the new, as you said, or emerging issues with AI as a technology and, and tech ethics have to do with the scope and scale at which these systems are, in fact, operating. I think in the past, it might have been very simple to see. And we always talked about things like user experience or customer experience or stakeholder engagement. And certainly stakeholder engagement is a discussion we've had with, with many, many folks who say this is so important, right, to have that multidisciplinary and all these different folks in the room. In your work, why do you think that's so important and so difficult when we're dealing with, with AI? Well, the first thing is that AI is not a tangible product. You know, if you have stakeholder engagement on a on textile industry issues, you know, we need the workers, we need the farmers, we need mm -hmm. the customers, we need the salespeople, etc. So when you talk about AI and uh, or tech in general, there is a new category of stakeholder that arises and that is hard to grasp and that doesn't follow conventional stakeholder identification logic, namely the person upon whom AI is applied, which is not necessarily the user. Let's say I go to social services and they use AI to predict my likelihood of, I don't know, fraud, benefit fraud. So, I mean, then in that moment, I'm a stakeholder. But if you follow the ideal of doing stakeholder engagement as you develop a product and, you know, ex ante, not just ex post, like how, how yeah. did you feel treated by this AI application by social services, but ex ante, how do you define the criteria by which you identify the stakeholders? Like you will need all those upon whom AI could be used but then what's important is to select these people according to, for example, socio-demographic characteristics. Because we know that, especially in, in, in ethically sensitive contexts like social services, where there are a lot of you know, issues of, of potential discrimination, etc., the idea or the logic according which you identify stakeholders must look at categories of people who might be at a higher risk of being discriminated because they represent minorities in a society. So, you know, the whole concept of stakeholder engagement needs to evolve and you need to look at how you identify your stakeholders uh, from a different angle than just a simple, oh, he's a worker, she's a salesperson, and they are consumers' perspective. So it likely follows then that you also can't necessarily assume that even if you design a system to scale or you want to deploy it globally, that in fact, you're going to be able to sort of design one system, if you will, or one algorithm to serve them all, right? Because there are different <laughs> cultural contexts, there's different sensitivities. We talk a lot about the need to address things like a systemic bias here in the U.S. that may or may not, and it's not, that's actually not the only ethical issue we need to be concerned about with AI systems. That may or may not be as big a concern in other areas. So 
I'm interested in sort of your thoughts on whether there is in fact a, if we are trying to design systems that scale and scale being cross regions or globally, or you know maybe it's just state to state here in, in the States, is there a global or a universal context when we can use to sort of ground these discussions of ethics or even issues, you know, more targeted issues such as discrimination, or does it just really depend? What is universal, I suppose? Is there anything that's truly universal? Well, you know, this, of course, uh, I mean, is a is a central debate among philosophers, and I'm, I'm sure they're not presenting a new answer. I do have, you know, my preferences for certain philosophical strands, and, you know, I would say human dignity is universal, and there are inviolable human rights, etc. And, you know, there's a basic body of values, mostly related to human rights, that are, that should be inviolable. But, what you meant, I think, also what is interesting when you say tech is all about scope and scale and, mm-hmm. you know, speed. And there is a unholy collision of the ideology behind uh, the origin or like the, <laughs> like the, the hotspot of tech industry, Silicon Valley mentality with move fast and break things. And which asks for scalability and you know speeding up everything, and the intransparency and uh, to a certain extent uncontrollability of the impact of AI. Again, which has to do with the fact that it is less tangible than you know other goods that are being produced. And so when you scale something from Silicon Valley and you think, oh, we found that one AI application that can be applied universally to solve, you know, let's say an issue in healthcare, you need to be very careful that you don't make what what is called the generalization error that, you know, Mm -hmm. when you use AI that has been trained on data from a certain context and you apply it in a context where data is totally different or the the reality is totally different, you will have a a really high risk at making uh, mistakes at the being inaccurate and also at um, uh, committing a lot of other like you know kinds of discrimination. So that means on the one hand, tech is all about scaling, about democratization, as they say it oftentimes. Mm-hmm. You know, making yeah. healthcare universally accessible by using AI as a diagnostic tool. So you could in theory, dream about people who cannot afford uh, seeing a doctor or who who are too far away from medical services. They could just, you know, rely on whatever AI application. But on the other hand, it is really sensitive in terms of ethics. It is very sensitive because the the context in which you apply often differ from the context on which the data was trained. And so, so that's one thing. But I don't know whether... The universalization of values, I think I would say the values are similar, but the challenges that they pose are different in different contexts. As you say, in the US, you have you know systemic bias, you have highly racialized justice, and other societies have other problems, other structural problems of uh, justice. Maybe there it's not racialized, maybe it's more along the lines of gender or a north-south divide in a country or, you know, a religious divide or whatever. And so that what kind of, that's what, what we need to be careful when we, especially in Europe, I'm talking from a European uh, perspective, uh, try to just apply whatever comes from the US in our societies. We don't have the same structural foundation 
on which our societies are built. We don't have the same problems. We have other challenges. Yeah, and different sensitivities, different perceptions. Exactly, different exactly. Experiences. Yes. So, so that really then underscores the point that there's no AI-enabled system that is perfectly ethical or that will ever be perfectly ethical because there's context. Especially not if you apply to people, you know, machine to machine AI applications. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes I feel forced, I have to emphasize that there is AI that really does not raise a lot of ethical questions. But of course, my mm -hmm. job is to, to talk about AI that raises ethical issues. <laughs> but I don't want to say like AI is always a terrible ethical challenge, whatever. We're talking about, you know, sensitive context about applying AI in, a, in an interhuman context, etc. So I read something that I believe you said a while back, and, and you said back in the day, this conversation about what is the business case for, for AI ethics or tech ethics. And, and I believe your statement was, I would have refused that discussion back when I was in academia, right? I just would not have engaged. And you may have changed your thinking on that. So interested in the basis, if, if that's true, if I've quoted you accurately, and what do you say to business leaders um, and organizations? Why is ethics not just interesting, not just, you know, something we should give a nod to, but really material for businesses today? Yeah, I know I said that. I said that I can't believe that I am, uh, you know, uh, kind of backing up Milton Friedman, who says <laughs> something like uh, the business of business is business. And, you know, I, I'm usually not not in sync with him. But, uh, I mean, you cannot deny that business leaders want to see business logic and you cannot force them or expect them to become social justice warriors. And you probably do not want them to become social justice warriors. So you need to talk their language and you, you need to tell them, what the non-financial dimensions of their responsibility, what they mean for their business. And just as we have a discussion about, you know, the business case for sustainability, which is oftentimes straightforward of like saving costs when you use less energy. Well, that's a simple yeah. example. Uh, or like social dimension, treating your employees well will uh, lower turnover, like will lower the changes among your staff. Yeah, improve retention, they'll stay longer. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. So these are like the low-hanging fruits or the no-brainers. You need to find such examples also for AI ethics. And so I think uh, it's also stakeholder-related. On one hand, the, the most powerful stakeholders in the tech industry that will make businesses very much aware of the financial dimension of AI ethics are the employees. You can see that employees, just today I read something again about Google firing someone who had criticized, uh, you know, the plausibility of a claim they made about, you know, some technical innovation, AI-related innovation. And so if employees don't feel that their employers or their uh, company is acting with integrity and if they don't feel that they are employed by someone or by people who serve a meaningful purpose and if they refuse for example if they're not okay with working for a company that for example works with a department of defense or some states with a dubious democratic track record etc 
they walk away. And there is nothing more valuable in the tech industry than the employees. So it is in your very interest as a tech industry um, boss to ensure that you have a, a, a like a, a comprehensive notion and concept of AI ethics and also make it part of your corporate culture because it will cost you dearly if you lose your really valuable and good people because you 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 have a blind spot on these issues. So I think employees and then the other force for potential good, I'm setting that in quotes, are shareholders. You know, we often thought about shareholders back in the Milton Friedman days. Oh, they only want to have profit maximization. And of course, there are those shareholders. But I would say the whole ESG discussion, like about, you know, environmental, social and governance uh, issues of, of uh, corporate uh, strategy is also uh, increasingly including AI ethics questions. We've already seen that with some shareholder criticism towards Amazon for their facial recognition technology. And I think that's, you know, the, the, the ESG movement will embrace AI ethics issues very soon. And if, you know, tech business bosses could say they don't care about their employees, but they will certainly always care about their shareholders. And I think that's what shocks me so much about myself that I'm here fully talking along the lines <laughs> of shareholder capitalism and freedmen. But maybe I've just uh, become a bit more pragmatic. <laughs> well, you've got to, you always have to find what, what motivates people and, and go there, right? So you've been mentioning a lot of these issues in, in the context of tech companies by which some Listeners may assume you mean folks developing AI systems for their own use and potentially by, for use by others. I think we could make an argument that says all businesses today are tech companies and probably all businesses, even those that don't develop AI algorithms, will very likely deploy and utilize AI algorithms. So what kind of additional pressure or due diligence does that require from businesses in general, not just necessarily the tech titans? Yeah, I think that's a really important also legal discussion. I'm not a lawyer, so I cannot really go into the details there, but it's essentially a question about product safety. Because if you, mm -hmm. as a company, buy some other kind of technology, some hardware, uh, you know, machine, uh, the producer or uh, the vendor is liable for the safety if you use it correctly. So I think that's very much at the core of the upcoming AI Act in the EU that they are trying to kind of, you know, transfer this uh, notion of uh, product safety to the AI context. And they're trying to figure out who should be responsible for, you know, what happens when you use AI or the ethical issues related to AI. And I just read it up again to make sure I'm, 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 I'm right here. But apparently the AI Act puts the onus of duties and rights on the initial provider. So that means if you buy it, you should be able to trust, you know, that everything is okay. But of course, this is also being criticized because it kind of means that you can, you know, lean back as a, as a user, say, well, I just bought that. I'm just using it. And, you know, it has been sold to me. So where do you draw the line between, uh, holding those who use it accountable uh, without putting too much of a burden on them, especially if we are talking about SMEs, you know, who, mm -hmm. who just, they, they use software, they will use AI-based software. 
what is a reasonable expectation in terms of how much they should know about how, how much they should look inside the black box that AI effectively yeah. is. So we may be having a lot more conversations moving forward about supply chain in the context of AI-enabled products specifically, yeah? Exactly. Very much so, yes. I think that's really, that's coming up now, yeah. Now, another thing that I find really interesting is some of the terminology that we use. Ethics or ethical AI feels, as you said early on, I think sometimes A, overwhelming and a little threatening. Um, We talk a lot then about responsible AI, more trustworthy AI. I'm wondering in your thoughts, how do those concepts relate? Is, Is responsible AI in the way that it's being practiced the same as developing an ethical AI practice? Yeah, I know there are a lot of terminological discussions and one of the good things about not being an academic anymore means I don't have to be so strict about terminology. <laughs> so it feels quite liberating. At the same time, I, I still remember why terminology is important because it can confuse people. And I, I, I really, I mean, I, I, as long as people explain to me what they mean by a certain term, I don't uh, have a you know preference that I say we should always talk about responsible AI or ethical AI. I think I just want to know from people or people when they use such terms, they should make make it clear what they mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, because sometimes they have very strong ideas and convictions behind using certain terms. I don't. But for me, many of these terms, trustworthy, responsible, ethical, can be used interchangeably if you you know, make a good case for why they are interchangeable. Mm-hmm. The one important question that always pops up and that is in fact legitimate, even though I'm also guilty of using it the wrong way, is when you say ethical AI, you could imply that AI itself has agency and it can be Mm -hmm. ethical, which of course I strongly deny, but still it's just, it's easier to talk about ethical AI instead of ethically deployed, developed, used, sold, and monitored AI, you know. So yes. I think that's something that we should make sure that we don't forget this when we talk about ethical AI, that AI does not have agency and an algorithm will never be ethical. It's just, I think it's laziness when we use it that way. Yeah, such a good point. Marisa, who I know you know well as well, was talking about the pros and cons of you know, anthropomorphic language and explaining how these system work. And, and it's, it's, there's good and bad in, in our ability to use that. So such a great point, but I, I wholeheartedly agree that AI systems cannot be ethical. Um, it's our, our use and deployment of them that, that, that confers that status. Another trend I've found interesting, and I, I don't know that I have a opinion on this yet is that in a lot of cases, organizations are really going back to and leveraging a lot of the risk management practices to try to support and develop their sort of responsible AI processes and procedures. So this idea of being able to use risk management to identify risks that need to be you know, mitigated um, or avoided it somewhat aligns to a profusion of AI ethical audit type offerings as well. And certainly, I think risk management, as it's been traditionally practiced, has a place uh, in, in, this, in this puzzle. But I am wondering if does that focus on risk actually risk 
missing out on a broader consideration of rights or maybe better stated values. Exactly. You're actually anticipating what I wanted to say. There is a certain conflict between a risk perspective and a rights perspective, because if mm -hmm. you look at, at something from a risk perspective, you're only thinking about, you know, the consequences of uh, developing or using something, and you will only act if you know that you will be negatively affected or someone who you, you know, care about for whatever reason will be negatively affected. But a rights perspective would be ex ante, as we say, to really say certain rights always have to be taken into consideration, no matter what risks, you know, uh, what the risk score is. And I think that's also what people criticize about the EU AI Act, which I just mm -hmm. mentioned, because it's a risk-based classification. They say the higher the risk of a context in which AI is applied, the stricter the regulation that we need. So they say in high-risk contexts, like we need stricter regulation, which makes sense, but still it's exclusively risk-based focus. And it's also not looking at people as subjects of rights, it's only using at people as being affected. And mm -hmm. so that's maybe why a risk-based approach, again, is very attractive when you talk about AI ethics to corporate executives, very much so, where there is, a, I mean, I hate using the term, a win-win situation between ethics and business, you know, because they understand the language of risk. But it will never, as you said, cover the full spectrum of ethical issues. And there's always a danger of missing out on aspects if you only focus on risk. Now, you have a business consulting practice and you work with organizations to evaluate and implement ethical practices and, and processes. What dimensions do you assess when you're evaluating ethical maturity or ethical practice? I don't have like a, a, a checkbox approach. I always try to grasp uh, through qualitative approaches, qualitative mm -hmm. interviews, what kind of uh, awareness or level of reflection company employees or whoever I'm talking to represent. And this is really the first task is basically what we started today with, like, what does ethics mean? <laughs> Do they have any awareness? Is there any shared language for ethical issues in a company, etc.? And have they internalized it? Or even if there is some ethical, you know, awareness that that they know that the company does have a corporate, you know, code of ethics, whatever, the way they talk about it gives me an indication of the level of maturity. If someone says like. I know they say there is something like this code of ethics and, you know, that we should do that. You know, you, you can really feel that, you know, this hasn't been internalized. So from the way people talk about ethics, you can really tell something about the ethical maturity of a company. And it's got a lot to do with, uh, you know, corporate culture, which, of course, then translates into, into behavior of individuals. So this, for me, is uh, it's very much in talking to people that I really assess how mature the ethical culture or ethics of the company is. Yeah, and, and I love that direct line between culture to behavior, because very often I think it's really easy to talk about these things, but if you really want to understand what someone's culture or beliefs are, you need to look at how they operate in the real world. So very interesting. Now, 
Before we finish, and I could go on for a very long time with you, I find this area fascinating. I saw your TED Talk from about a year ago, if that, but but I, there was this really fascinating, and I'll paraphrase because this was what I took away from it and may or may not have been what you were getting at, but observation that in the end, our freedom as individuals and, and as humans and societies comes from having the power to decide or from the power of self-determination. And you pose this question of how can we truly be free when we delegate, if we delegate decision-making to something else, in this case, an AI system. So I was interested in your kind of current thoughts and thinking about how do we ensure we don't inadvertently subjugate individual freedoms and decisions when we're delegating these types of decisions to AI systems? Well, there is a technical answer to that, which is, you know, through measures of accountability, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to do. We defined, as we said now, who should be held accountable if something goes wrong and, you know, auditing systems, et cetera. That's one way. Uh, but on a, on a philosophical level, I think we need to remember that humans are, as far as we know, the only species who has the ability of being responsible uh, thanks to our, you know, uh, force of reason and our ability to discursively legitimize our actions, etc. And because we have this ability to be responsible, we have the responsibility to keep this ability alive. So we must not, we are actually morally obliged to keep responsibility alive in this world. And that's a philosophical answer, but I like that very much. And it comes from Hans Jonas, who was a, a German immigrant, Jewish German immigrant to the US philosopher, and, uh, and who said that the mere fact that humans are the only species uh, that is capable of being responsible means that we are responsible of keeping responsibility alive. <laughs> and that's for me always like we must not do away, we, we must not abolish responsibility. And if we follow the way of using AI blindly or applying it with, without understanding it, we are at risk of erasing responsibility in this world. So I guess as final thoughts, what would you like to see happen, whether that's organizationally as individuals, um, you know, as broader society to ensure that we do not, in fact, give away or not rise up to that, that responsibility? Well, I think we are on an on a, on a okay journey. I don't see AI as getting out of control yet. I think especially you know, uh, certain companies, but also certain geographical regions, <laughs> I don't want to be too Eurocentric yeah. here, but have made <laughs> efforts and have addressed the issue and are trying to really, you know, set reasonable regulation and guidelines for how we develop and use AI. And I think that, you know, the legal side is one thing, as I said, the corporate ethics plays another role. Individual ethics is a third level. So across mm -hmm. all these levels, like state or transnational regulatory uh, level, corporate level and individual level, we need to, to work on raising awareness and stand up to our responsibility again. Excellent. Uh, anything else you'd like to leave with the audience that we may not have touched on? 
Not really. Thanks a lot for making my brain boil in my head. I can say so. <laughs> it was a really good and uh, you know inspiring conversation. I mean, your questions made me think a lot. Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. <laughs> no, well, thank you, Dorotea. I think you have such a definite knack for making ethics both relevant and accessible and understandable. And as everybody, and I do mean everyone, will either develop, use, or be affected by AI-enabled systems, we definitely need more of your like in this space. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Thanks again for having me. Thanks. Awesome. Now, next up, we're going to be joined by Roger Spitz. Roger's the CEO of Technistential, and he's going to discuss his AAA model for human decision-making in the age of AI. So subscribe now so you don't miss it.